Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Weekend just around the corner. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you for the next three hours. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind and you're in North Mississippi, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. Whether you're a farmer or you're just someone looking to build a dream home or buy a piece of property, Mississippi Land Bank has been financing land for over 100 years. They understand the business. They understand that uh, you may have a unique situation. It's probably not a situation that they haven't worked through before. And so uh, I would encourage you, if you're trying to buy land or you need to refinance an existing property or buy some equipment, then Mississippi Land Bank is a call that you should make. You can find the phone number or the branch locations on their website in North Mississippi. It's mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of land. Happy Thursday, boys. Sporky, are you happy? Having a good day. Good. I've also decided... I don't hear a smile on your voice today. I mean, you can't look at me, so there may or may not be one. I guess you'll never find out. I said um, I can't hear a smile. Ah, well, uh, I'm just f- trying to figure out the ways. Whenever I have a son, hopefully I have a son, uh, the first thing that I'm going to do when the doctor hands him to me is give him a baseball bat. Okay. Not a bad idea. Bryce Harper got a big fat deal today from the Philadelphia Phillies. We will get into that coming up in just a little while. That means he is not going to be playing for the San Francisco Giants. Are those tears that I hear in your voice, Brian? Hey, Dad. It's fine. It's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Nah, Everybody I mean, I, I in the really, National I, League, Rippy and I were just talking about it. Everybody in the National League's upgraded except the Giants. And the Braves. And the Braves, yeah. No, well, but I, the Braves I, won the division last year. I was. We had just finished, Joel T. Coleman and I had just finished recording the podcast today, and uh, that the news broke. So he was upset because as a Braves fan, he did not want him in the NL East. And as a Giants fan, I was upset because I was hoping he would sign with the Giants. So we were both unhappy, which is probably us. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Rippy, there are a lot of Ole Miss fans that are unhappy after a uh, disappointing loss last night. A great basketball game. Great atmosphere, great energy in the building. Fun game to watch. Good pace, good flow. Disappointing end for Ole Miss. The game was a lot of fun, and you can't always say that about college basketball games. Um, a lot of close games, not necessarily good high level, but last night was certainly both. It was a lot of fun, poorly officiated both ways, which is a shame because it was a high-level game. You know, Ole Miss can't kind of, not a full-on meltdown, but definitely let it slip at the end. I Can I potentially disagree with the poorly officiated thing? And before you jump up and down and go, hold on, you're Richard, you're crazy. Part of the reason that the game had a really good flow to it 
is that there weren't a ton of whistles. Ole Miss was called for 17 fouls. I think Tennessee was called for 14 fouls. Three of those were in the last 30 seconds. So you got a total of 31 fouls and a combined 32 free throws in the game? Yes, and while what you're saying is correct, the reason the game had a good flow is because there weren't a lot of fouls called. The whistles that were blown, though, were not consistent at all with one another or synonymous to what, like, there was no, like, like, what was a foul and what wasn't a foul was not clear. And then they some egregious traveling calls, among other things, missed. <laughs> and then when the, you know, you had the obvious one that everyone's, you know, floating around social media where uh, Schofield is, I believe, or Grant Williams is planking on top of Sheeler's back and a jump ball gets called. That's the one that sticks out. Both teams were victimized by it, but man, some really mystifying calls. Yeah, that, that one of the big questions that people have had, and, and a question that I had after the game last night, was why they didn't put some time back on the clock. Now, if they had put time back on the clock, I think it's important to realize what you would have been dealing with. Absolute best-case scenario, you would have been looking at six-tenths of a second, and probably not that much. And you would have been 91 feet from the basket, standing still, in the corner in front of the Tennessee bench. And so with six-tenths of a second, you do have time to catch and shoot. What you don't have time to do is jump, catch the ball in the air, come to the ground, and go back up and shoot. It would basically be either catching it in the air and turning and firing or catching it flat-footed and shooting immediately. It was not a high-probability play, even if they had put six-tenths of a second back on the clock. And to your point, it's all pretty much irrelevant. Ole Miss lost its last chance or last opportunity, last breath, whatever you want to call it, leaving a timeout in its pocket with 3.4 seconds left or whatever it was, 4-point-whatever, when Grant Williams makes the shot. Had a timeout, didn't use it. Schuler takes a contested 30-footer. Uh, Schofield in, in which he was called for a charge. Which... It's probably that's probably the right call. Why in the world are you within twenty feet of a guy pulling up for a running thirty footer, much less trying to slide under him and take a charge? I I would have imagine if that had been a block, Rick Barnes might have just collapsed on the scene. <laughs> what are you doing? Hey, hey, Dad, you agree with that, right? No, I totally agree with that. I, I've never seen anything like that. Normally, you just let them heave it up there, and if it you know if it goes in. You're just you're just out of luck, I guess. At that point, to go and back to something that Rippy said for me. You know, it's not leaving that timeout in your back pocket. Brian Tyree missing the front end of a, of the one and one was one of the most surprising things that's happened this basketball season. I, I when he stepped to the line, I was like, they're going to win because he's going to hit both of these free throws, and he didn't. He Second didn't. Second game that, in a row that that's happened me. too. Really, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, and, am I, I right? Um, that was their first miss of the game from the line. They were think, fourteen of fourteen prior oh, to that free throw attempt. That's brutal. And so, so we left. Jones County or Jones College yesterday in Ellisville, and I drove back and I was starving. And when like I'm leaving Jackson or coming through Jackson and I'm hungry, my go-to spot is Outback, the one right there off of the interstate because I can sit down. I don't look at a menu. I can sit right there at the bar, usually watch a game. And so I'm watching it, and Blake Henson, just smooth as he can be, knocks down two free throws. Tennessee goes down. They don't try a three, which I thought they would try for to tie the game at that point. They hit a what a contested 17-footer to make it a one-point game. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm literally like talking out loud to myself. There's a lady sitting next to me that, that she and her husband are watching the game as well. And I go, 
well, you want to get the ball into Bree and Tyree here, make a couple of free throws, and get out with a win. I said that out loud, and what did Ole Miss do? Easily got the ball into Bree and Tyree. You walk to the other end of the floor. Never a doubt in my mind that he's about to make – I think he's going to make both free throws. Tennessee's going to have to hit a miracle shot to try and tie it at three. They were three of 13 from behind the arc at that point. The odds are in your favor to win the basketball game. And then the SEC Player of the Year goes and makes a play. And to Haydad's point, it, it is surprising because, like you and, and like you said, it, they they got him the ball. They got him a design play to, to get the ball. You know, he gets the ball, he gets fouled, and you're Ole Miss. You're thinking he's going to make both free throws, but the story of itself, like in and of itself, too. And now it's the second game in a row that's happened, and they dodged the bullet the first time. It is surprising because that's the most sure-handed free-throw shooter on the team, and it's happened in back-to-back games. Yeah, 83% free-throw shooter. Uh, they're, they're replaying parts of it on the SEC Network right now. Kermit Davis is holding a microphone asking uh, people not to throw things onto the court. Um, Shout we're out to talk about it for that fantastic jacket toss, though. Jim that's Bayhan the stuff asked. of legend. It was, it was, uh, that one will be replayed a bunch. I mean, he didn't have any trouble getting out of it. Sometimes, that, like a guy wants to throw a, his jacket. That's going to be a gif or a gif or whatever you want to call it. That's going to be the new I'm really mad reaction. It's Bork, you know, you've seen that before, though, where somebody wants to come out of their jacket and throw it, but then they like, can't get their arm out of it. Like, it's, it came off in one good motion. He gave it a good wad, gave it a nice sidearm chunk into the, uh, into the scorer's table. It was a high-quality jacket toss. The only way to one-up that now is somebody either has to throw their dress shirt or pants because the jacket toss has now been out there. Get breakaway he would have pants. had to peel the dress shirt off because it was sweaty. A lot of perspiration coming out of that. <laughs> you, you can't just pull that one off as uh, as easily. All right, we'll, we'll, let's dissect some of this, this Ole Miss-Tennessee game when we come back. Um, believe it or not, I actually think that there's some good, not from a win-loss standpoint, but there are a couple of good takeaways for Ole Miss in that game. Uh, We will discuss some of your reaction to a couple of things that I tweeted on, uh, obviously tweeted on Twitter after the game. And it's not something that I do very often. Borky makes fun of me all the time because I don't tweet very often. And, And he thinks it's ridiculous that I have the number of followers that I do because I'm not entertaining, I'm not interesting on Twitter. Yeah, you just haven't earned them. It's, I don't make fun of you, and we're going to learn later in the show that being on social media is actually bad for your mental health and physical health and family health even, uh, yeah. but you haven't earned your follower count at all. Okay. It's rather ominous. Um, you got to want it, Richard. I think... I can explain to you why it is that I'm not terribly active on the Twitters. You gotta look for more excuses to tweet. Like if you go to an outback, snap a pic of a blooming onion. Great content. No hashtag, no rules, yeah. just right. I'm I'm not gonna give up Twitter, but I feel like I, I need to learn and better utilize Instagram. Eh. No? That's not become an influencer. <laughs> There are some interesting ways that are out there to make money, and apparently it doesn't matter how old you are. We'll get to that story coming up. Bryce Harper gets signed. Jason Witten's coming out of retirement. Huh? And a whole bunch more with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy. Now, what were you telling me about Twitter just a second ago, Rippy? 
Um, I Twitter audited you to make sure you weren't defrauding all of us with your Twitter numbers, and 97% real, so good on you. That's good. Is that, That's good. Is that a high percentage? That's yes. pretty high. That's about as high as you can get, because I don't think anyone has 100% real. If you start dipping down in the 50s and 60s, odds are you've been doing some shady business to gain followers. Like buying followers? Uh, I'm not going to throw any accusations around, but yes, maybe. Well, I mean, clearly I'm not buying followers. Yeah, there are a lot of dumb things I can do with my money. That's not one of them. They're well, cheap. I can't really accuse you now that you have a 97 score. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're you're in the uh, you're in the four pole uh, four spot in terms of number of Twitter followers. Borky is in front of you. Well, if you want to follow me and get bad content and snark, have at it. But like, other than that, that don't really bring much to the table. I follow Rippy. <laughs> I, I follow Rippy, and you should too. too. My mom. He, he, um, you should, and he, he's funny. Hey, Dad, you're up over seven thousand Twitter followers now. Is that a number that's been growing? Yeah, it's grown uh, about three thousand since I took this job. Has it really? Yeah. Well, how about that? Yeah. Very good. So you've grown by more followers than Borky has in total. <laughs> Why you gotta be like that? Jeez. <laughs> He's our friend. He makes things happen on this show. But Borky, I wish I was in the room because I know you would have just thrown something at me, right? I pro- I'm gonna, the there's going to be a you day guys with the where throwing we stuff. Y'all to... need to calm that down. Well, he needs to be careful or else there's going to be a fist thrown at some point. <laughs> or a shank. <laughs> as long as it's not a shiv, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna yeah. be okay. Hey, we're glad to be with you this afternoon. You can uh, you can text the show 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. C Spire customer inspired. Did you do a Twitter audit on anybody else? No, I can though. Yeah, we need to know uh, what percentage of Hey Dad's followers are real. Yeah. What's your Twitter handle, Hey Dad? At Brian Hey Dad. <laughs> He's at Brian Hey Dad. All right, let's start with. Um, I, I think there's some some ways that we can uh, uh, can kind of go through the basketball game uh, last night. Tennessee wins uh, over Ole Miss, seventy three seventy one. Rebels were up five at the half. Tennessee outscored them by seven in the second half. Leading scorer for Tennessee, Grant Williams, with twenty one points. Ole Miss had four players in double figures. Tyree Davis, uh, excuse me. Um, Terrence Davis and Brian Tyree both had 16 points. Blake Henson had 14. Bruce Stevens, solid stat line for him last night with 10 points and 10 rebounds. So, kind of a crazy sequence at the uh, at the end of the game, and we got a, a text to the ceasefire text line. So let's let's start here first. Let's hear about the traveling on the game winning basket for Tennessee. All right, so so Grant Williams gets the ball, what, 24 feet from the basket, top of the key. He sets a screen and then just kind of pops up, and nobody sticks with him. Brian Tyree kind of bumped him there. He gets the ball, and he's got some space. And he drives down the left side of the lane and splits Tyree and Bruce Stevens. There's some contact there. As he splits defenders, that's kind of where people are talking about a travel on that drive. Gets it up on the glass, gets the shot to fall, and Tennessee goes in front. Uh, uh, let, me, let me say a couple of things, and I just want to open it up and kind of get your reaction. I have rewatched that play at least half a dozen times, maybe more than that. I've tried to slow it down. I've tried to freeze it. I've tried to count steps. And I think you're asking a lot. There are people that have said that was absolutely an obvious travel. 
I feel like I watch a lot of basketball, and I would not put that play in the category of absolute obvious travel. Did he letter of the law by rule travel? Probably so. If you watch Grant Williams in Tennessee play, and you watch him closely, he shuffles his feet and has kind of like a little baby bunny hop that just doesn't get called as a travel. And that's kind of what he did there. He's dribbling, I think with the left hand, he goes into a little bit of a jump stop and then takes two steps and then goes up with it as he's splitting the defenders. And and so technically I think you probably could have called a travel there. Somebody said, well, yeah, he got fouled also, and they didn't call that. If you call the travel, though, the foul is irrelevant because the foul happens after the travel would have occurred anyway. So that's my perception or or, or perspective on the travel. Rippy, you were in the building. What did you think? So for this particular play, I was down on the floor because I was trying to get, like, anyway, I was trying to get to where I needed to be for postgame. I didn't have a, like, great view of it. But my thought was from initially, because on the surface it did kind of look like a travel, I thought they might have ruled that he bobbled the ball or lost possession of the basketball at some point. I don't think that happened. Okay. I so, think they just didn't call a travel. Okay, well, I don't think – it wasn't egregious enough to where you can expect a whistle at that point in the game in that scenario. Okay. Uh, Borky, you were watching it on television. Uh, no, you were still on the road. Weren't you? Did you see it? Uh, I saw the end. Yeah, I got back in time to see the end, and I rewatched the game uh, earlier today as I was putting the notes together for the show. What did you think? Travel or no travel on that play? He was doing that all night, and it didn't get called all night. Therefore, you can't expect it to get called in that moment. That's fair. Hey, Dad, what did you think? I I thought it was a travel. Okay. I I thought I didn't have the best view of it. You know, I was watching it on TV, not a large TV. I was at a a restaurant, and what were you in the SEC replay office? We had that thirteen incher out. We were just, we were looking really hard. No, but I, my first thought was, oh, he walked. But with with me and SEC officials, I expect to be. You know, I expect nothing, and I'm still disappointed. Okay. Um. All right. So that that's one traveling question. Let's we'll we'll come back to the charge in a second that was called on the on Devontae Schuler. The last play of the game. I was really curious about this one. Um, Tennessee throws long pass, runs it down. Blake Henson, kind of a tackle thing that doesn't get called a foul. And then a travel is called as the clock goes to zero. They go to the replay monitor. As I watch it initially, I think they're going to put five or six-tenths of a second back on the clock. That didn't happen. They said game over. And so I reached out today to Mark Whitehead, who's the coordinator of officials for the SEC. And I said, do you mind explaining before I go on the radio today what it is that the officials saw and why they didn't put any time back on the clock? And he was kind enough to get back to me. He sent me a uh, a screenshot of the rule book, the interpretation, but then called me and said, let me explain it to you. When they go to the replay monitor on a timing play, this one in particular, on a, on a violation, you don't put time back on the clock based on when the actual violation occurred. This is by rule. You put time on the clock based on when the official 
makes the call. He said, please don't misunderstand that the official's arm has to be completely straight up and down in the air after they've blown their whistle. When he makes the initial move, three-inch movement of his arm to begin to go up to make the call, that's where you would freeze it, say that's where the call happened, and that's how much time you would put on the clock. They said in reviewing that, the clock was at zero when the official began to make the call. He said the other thing you've got to understand is throughout the course of a game, when an official makes a call, there's usually about half a second lag time from when the play actually happened to when the call happens. And that is by design, they don't want officials who are in game speed real time blowing their whistle because they believe it will lead to inadvertent whistles and more calls that shouldn't be called. What they want the official to do is see the play react to the, like process what they're seeing and then react to the play. So you're asking a lot of them, but that's the process that they teach to the officials. It's sort of irrelevant, too, because even if you get the ball back, it's six-tenths of a second going nearly the length of the floor. From the corner, and you can't move. You're not going to do much with it. Right. Um, And then, I suppose the other question that's on the table is the charge call. See, the way I look at that is, is if that's indeed called a block, Tennessee gave Ole Miss a complete and utter gift if he makes both free throws and they win the game. Because he has no business being within 25 feet of shooting. Well, would he, would he have gotten two free throws or three? Three, I guess three, three yeah. to your point. Three. So, But it's a one-point game at that point. So yeah. if he makes two, they win the game more than likely. Um, so, th- what, yeah, three free throws, whatever. I, that would have been a gift a gift of a way to win the game and, and rectified what was a pretty significant not choke, but like they let it slip away pretty. Admiral pretty Schofield made a terrible basketball play that worked out beautifully for Tennessee. Can you call it a terrible decision but a good play? Does that even make sense? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's a horrible decision and one that I guarantee you Rick Barnes will say, do not ever do that again. He did because say. what Admiral Schofield did, he put the game in the hands of the guys in the striped shirts. And Pat Adams made the right call there. It was a charge. Admiral Schofield was set. He held his ground. Say what? Hey, Dan. You don't hear that every day. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's pick this up in just a second. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Hey, Borky, I tweeted six times in a span of like 15 minutes last night. I think that's a personal record. I'm proud of you. You're good for a couple of months. Yeah, that ought to get me for a while. There's your quota for 2019. Yeah, that's got me for the rest of the year. And a lot of interaction. Um, I think the most interaction came from this tweet. And for goodness sake, stop throwing crap on the floor. That's so Bush League. And yes, I spelled it like Bush Beer, not B-U-S-H. Many people corrected me on that. Thank you. Although some of what they were throwing on the floor might have been Bush, but that's beside the point. It tasted like Bush Beer. We did something in college called Bush Bush League. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, takes away from what was an otherwise incredible crowd and atmosphere. Um, this was one response from Gambling Rebel. Instead of criticizing the fans for having to protest the blatant cheating by the officials, why don't you direct those comments to the person who should address this problem at Greg Sankey? Uh, okay. 
Stop trying to quell the passion just because you're vying for the big gig. You look ridiculous. There's no shame for shooting for the stars, but we, actual fans, don't have to tolerate your ish. Isn't ish like a, uh, yes, I'm yes. not going to curse, but it's right. pretending to? Yeah. Okay. You, you got to quell that passion. If you switch up the letters and uh, delete one letter, it's not a curse word. Life hack. Okay. Um, <laughs> this was, uh, let's see, absolutely agree, but how else do they take out their frustration on Pat Adams? Uh, <laughs> obscenities. <laughs> no, I. You find it, out where he goes to play darts, and you beat him at darts. No, he, he or darts? he could be like a Kentucky fan and completely ruin his business. Well, that's different. That's. But guys, is it crazy that I'm having like a like a, a brain cramp in trying to understand the rationale for justifying? Throwing a bunch of cups and drinks and ice and trash onto the floor? Well, the timing is probably what did it, Richard. It, it, people were just emotional and, and mad about the outcome of that game. I think if you'd have done that this morning, the responses would not have been as uh, feisty. At least there wasn't a red high heel on the floor this time. Yeah, that, there were a couple of people that threw that out there as well. Yeah. What um, did I miss there? Ole Miss, Alabama, 2007, the Doyle-Jackson game. Oh. One of the things that was thrown from the student section was a red high heel. Just one, not both, just one. Just one. She needed to keep the other. Or she broke the other during the day and still just had the one good one remaining. She just stuck it in her Yeah, in stuck her it in her purse, yeah. David on the C Spire text line says, your, co- your coach threw something first. Yeah, he did. Why is it okay for him to throw stuff and not the fans? Set a better example. Uh, Kermit Davis did apologize after. He said he probably incited the crowd a bit by throwing his coat. But, but David, the logic there is it's hard for me to make one plus one equal two in, in trying to combine those two things. One is a participant in the event. The other one is an observer of the event. One doesn't have to be cleaned up. The other does. (laughs) I'm not worried about the cleanup part of it, but, uh, I mean, it's the second time in a couple of weeks we've seen objects come onto the floor, right? Happened in Athens as well. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, uh, cost Mississippi State the game, although not really. Anyway. Cost Georgia the game. Um, yes, it, but I'm it sorry. didn't cost Georgia. the it game. It didn't really it cost Georgia it didn't the cost game. Him the but game it, at all. He had another I, free throw. He had another free throw. Okay, so so back to the Admiral Schofield thing, and, and I think Rippy said it well. Uh, not a smart decision, but a smart play. No, not a smart play. It just turned out to be a good one. You can't justify any part of what happened there with the word smart. That that's fair. What did Rick Barnes say about that play after the game? Uh, he said, I definitely didn't tell him to do it, and I would never want him to do it again, essentially. I'm paraphrasing, but it was not, that was not, that was not an employed strategy. Yeah, great so, play, so, Hayes. Never do it again. Yeah. That, that ex- <laughs> that nice like reference, good. Borky. Well done. Hey, Dad, good. since you're on team incompetence for the officials. I am. I'm the, I'm the, the team captain. Oh, okay, so you're, so you're on team comp, uh, team captain of, of that team. Fair enough. Yeah. Then, 
what Rick Barnes says, or, or the idea that that's a play that worked out but it's a terrible play makes a lot of sense to you because, again, to your point, with regard to officiating in the SEC, you are putting the fate of the game that you are currently leading into the hands of a guy wearing a striped shirt. Yeah. And I would not have been surprised at all if they had called a block. Would not have been. Even though he was completely set, would, would not Rick have Barnes have thrown his coat? Rick, Rick Barnes would have. And the tie would have, might have come off, too, if that had happened. I, I wouldn't have been surprised. There is no... Yeah bad call they can make that makes me go okay now i'm surprised i I had this thought and uh, i'm not trying to i'm done talking about twitter or whatever but i did tweet this after the game rick barnes was extremely outspoken after tennessee's loss at lsu where he felt like they got jobbed and they kind of did Although, it probably was a foul. Probably not a foul that should have been called, but it was a foul. I think that last play got so physical and so egregious, you probably got to call it. Um, Should Kermit Davis be as vocal as Rick Barnes was? Because that was a strategy that seemed to work. Tennessee was called for 11 fouls prior to the final 30 seconds of the game. They had to foul three times. They had to foul two times. So that the fo- the third foul put Ole Miss in the bonus with less than 30 seconds to play in the game. Tennessee's a physical basketball team, and in 39 and a half minutes they were whistled for 11 fouls. Should Kermit Davis employ that strategy, knowing the stakes of Ole Miss's game against Arkansas on Saturday? Is there anything to that? Maybe, because I'm not about to sit here and say they were protecting Tennessee after they got jobbed. But, like, even if there might maybe is something, like, subconsciously where that's... I mean, don't you think human nature that's in the back of that crew's mind would happen to him Saturday somewhere? Even if they weren't on that crew? Yes. Don't you... Like, you can't tell me they're completely oblivious to no, no, Barnes' comments and what, they, and what happened to them Saturday. I'm not saying it affected the game at all. I'm just saying it's probably in their mind somewhere. So, maybe I guess is the answer to your question. Couldn't. What's it going to hurt to try? Now, what one thing that's different is Ole Miss is not a top ten in the team in the country who's in a three way tie for first place in the SEC. See, this is where I, I don't understand the conspiracy theory people that say they had it out and they're trying to protect Tennessee. Don't they want as many teams in the tournament as they can get? Tennessee's already right. in the tournament. If Ole Miss wins that game and they're in the tournament, I don't understand the conspiracy strategy if there is one. Well, it's just like football season. There was a conspiracy that you had to get Vanderbilt Bowl eligible because the SEC is so deeply run that they have a conspiracy to help Vanderbilt. It's the same thing with Arkansas and Kentucky. Even though I still can't quite figure out why it was an out-of-bounds play, wouldn't it have it been better if Arkansas would have won that game? Yeah, I mean, Arkansas is, is, is on the bubble of the bubble. But, I mean, yeah, that would have been a good win for them to have. If, if they could reel off a few more wins here at the end, they might have been able to talk their way into a discussion. But yet, especially for last night, you know, a win there seals Ole Miss into the NCAA tournament. They're done. They're in at that I still think they're in. Done. But, but they're done at that point. So – why would you want Tennessee? Tennessee's already in. They're probably going to be no worse than a two-seed, even with that loss. Yeah, It's so still a problem that you know work. the officials' names. That, that's a huge problem. Well, well I mean, they, yeah. they're in the game notes. 
Yeah, and but but wait, nobody well, gets and, the game notes and nobody reads the game notes. The only reason yeah, but when why you got the same know, guys that work every single game, well, or or you see eight times over the course of a year, and they've been in the league for eighteen years, you're going to recognize names and faces. There's only what, a couple of argued, names that you can recognize. Haven't we argued for them having to come out in a press conference and answer for like end of the they game? They should absolutely do that, and the fact that. Uh, Brian Tyree and, and Bruce Stevens had to answer questions last night, and it was a joke. Most of them. Well, you would were, know their name if they did that, though, right? Well, yeah, because that's a little bit different. They would be forced into a press conference with the media. That's a bit of a non sequitur. You're a non sequitur. <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? We need you know, it'd be great content is we got Alex Jones on this show to explain SEC officiating. <laughs> Frogs, man. Um, somebody sent us a message that said Yahoo Sports went with a headline that said "Riot at Ole Miss basketball game." Is that true? What? That can't be true. Check that out. Oh no, here it is. Ole Miss fans trash court after loss to number seven Tennessee. Now that's Riot's true. a little different. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not not quite the same thing as uh, saying there was a riot. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. More coming up. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Four o'clock hour. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, if you're a farmer, you need to buy a piece of property, get your crop loans in order, maybe it's refinancing an existing loan, maybe it's buying a piece of equipment, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been in the land financing business, specifically as it relates to farms, for over 100 years. You can find a branch location near you on the website, mslandbank.com. Hey, uh, hey, hey, Dad, what is the level of futility in your mind of looking at baseball RPIs two weeks into the season? <laughs> it's high. It's very high. But, I mean, but you want to. Let's do it. Yeah, well, okay. We got a bunch of other stuff to get to, but I, I kind of got off in this little, uh, got off in the weeds a little bit during the break. And frankly, I'm shocked by the results. Um, First of all, the the amount of movement up and down at this point of the season based on just one or two games is gargantuan. Ole Miss is currently at number eight in the RPI at five and two, and they moved up this week two spots since last Sunday with a home win against UT Martin. Okay. So what about Mississippi State? Right, I mean, they've hosted Southern Miss for a three-game series. But then this week, in the midweek, what did Mississippi State do? They have played Jackson State, and they have played Southeastern Louisiana. And so, Mississippi State checks into the RPI. I lost it. Doggone it. Literally. Southern Miss, by, uh, I'm sorry, at 58. Bulldogs have dropped 27 spots this week. <laughs> After two wins at home against Jackson State and Southeastern Louisiana. Jackson State, the SWAC teams are RPI bombs, man. It doesn't even matter if you win. You you, you can't avoid dropping in the RPI when you play those teams. 
Although Jackson State only at one seventy five right now. Yeah, but I mean it's going to continue to drop too. You're right. You're right. It will. Um, however, so despair not, Mississippi State fans, as you sit at fifty eight right now, because this weekend you will play the number one RPI team in the country in Texas Tech who has the number one RPI and the number one strength of schedule. You will play a game against Sam Houston State, who's sitting at 127 in the RPI. And the third game is against who? Nebraska. Nebraska. Let's see where Nebraska is. Nebraska's at 54. So, opportunity to move up. And by the way, Southern Miss is at 68. Southern Miss dropped 29 spots in the RPI after their midweek loss to UNO at home. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's a bad loss. But it's still, I mean, you talk about super early. We were talking oh, about yeah. trying to figure out the SEC tournament scenarios with three games left, and we could barely do it. This is two weeks into baseball, man. we got a long way to go. No, I understand. It was an absolute rabbit hole, but it was, you know, once I got in, I couldn't get out without kind of looking at everybody. Um. All right, let, 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 let's finish up quickly, because if we're, if we're going to play this thing out the way we just did, we got to play it all the way out. So we started out by looking at the four teams at 9-6, and six, and just kind of based on percentages and whatnot, we came up with Ole Miss as the five seed, Mississippi State as the six seed, and Florida as the seven, with South Carolina earning the final number four spot. Right. So South Carolina would get the double bye. And let's just predict chalk, right? I mean, all all three of those other two teams win their their Thursday night game, right? We're, we're in agreement with that. Sure. Because you got five versus fourteen, six versus thirteen, seven versus twelve. So, how do the top three finish? We know South Carolina is going to be the number four seed. Who's winning the league? Tennessee, Kentucky, or LSU? This is the part where you're going to ask me who these teams play, right? Well, I mean, even now, I mean, LSU's going to have the upper hand, right, because they have the head-to-head wins. So I would think LSU's going to end up winning the league. Yeah, LSU will win, but Kentucky will retroactively win the SEC after LSU has to vacate it. Because of what? Wiretap will. There you go. Tennessee has Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Auburn remaining those first two at home and then the last one on the road. That is not an easy finish. LSU has Alabama, Florida, and Vanderbilt. So they're going to win at least two of those, right? Yeah. We we feel confident in that. Probably win all three. And for Kentucky, they've got the game against Tennessee. They've got a road game against Ole Miss, and they finish with Florida. So LSU wins the league? I think so. I think so. Who's going to win between Tennessee and Kentucky on Saturday? In Knoxville? In Knoxville. You call me crazy. I think Kentucky's going to win. I tend to think Kentucky, too, but is beating Tennessee twice the second time in Knoxville seems tough. But Tennessee's winning that game. Oh, I, right. Kentucky's going to make it close. Tennessee's going to be in a dogfight. Yeah. yeah, it'll be a good game. So, so for the purposes of this exercise, let's go LSU as your SEC champ, followed by Tennessee as the two, Kentucky as the three, and South Carolina as the four. One of those things is not like the other. That means Ole Miss would play South Carolina. 
Mississippi State would play Kentucky, and then Florida would play Tennessee. And I'm, I can't, I, I can't figure out any beyond that because you got yeah. more ties. Yeah. But like I said, you know, you're, you've got state one and two in that scenario. I, I think they can, they're going to be two and one, so that might throw a, a kink into things. Yes. If you get into a tiebreaker scenario, Borky was good enough to find this. Borky, you want to walk us through it? Uh, you go for it. You're better at explaining it than I am. Okay. Three-team tie or more. So if you have three teams that are tied, here's the, the formula they use. Best winning percentage of games played among the tied teams. If that's all the same, you then go best winning percentage of the tied teams versus the number one seat. So, for, for argument's sake here, let's say Mississippi State and Ole Miss are tied for that fifth spot. You're going to go head-to-head matchup first. Well, they both, they're one and one against each other, so now you're going to start working your way down through the tiebreaker formula Winning percentage versus the number one seed, LSU. Both 0 and 1. Winning percentage against the number two seed, Tennessee. Against Kentucky. You could go down against South Carolina, in which case Mississippi State would win the tiebreaker because they're 1 and 1 against South Carolina, 500 winning percentage. Ole Miss would be 0 and 1 against South Carolina. All right. Too much math. I just need someone to put the bracket in front of my face. If you go all the way through the winning percentage against the other teams and you're still tied, the commissioner will flip a coin. Is that really it? Yes. Yeah, if you go 1 through 14 winning percentage against and it's still tied, you flip a coin. And if you've got three teams tied, you draw straws. What's another way imagine, to do it? Can you imagine if they, we got to the coin flip? I mean, whoever lost that is going to just demand to see the coin. I want to see the coin. You got to live stream that if it happens, right? Yes, yeah, you, you that has to be. That has to be. You you can't do that behind closed doors. You wouldn't think so. I'm sure that takes will. me takes me to the great Andy Griffith, and they commenced to odd man. <laughs> what it was was football. Text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Borky, what did the smart people at Stanford decide about Facebook? Basically, if you get off of it or delete it or whatever you have to do to not make it part of your life anymore, you will improve in multiple areas. You will improve physically, emotionally, mentally, and you will spend more time with your family. They did a study where they forced air quotes, they forced the subjects of the study to get rid of Facebook for four weeks and they found that one, people were less informed actually politically but less polarized as well, so they may not have known what was going on but they also didn't have extreme opinions it improved mental health Um, they spent more time with their family and spent less time online. Facebook will tell you that uh, if you got rid of it, you would just replace that time on Facebook with other time online It's actually not true. If you get rid of Facebook, you spend less time online. If you get the majority of your political news from Facebook, are you really that informed anyway? You'd be surprised. I I would guess 75% of the people on Facebook only get their news from Facebook. But to 
answer the question, are you really that informed? I mean, you are informed based on who you follow, and you follow people that you agree with. You get information, if that's the definition of informed. There's information Sports being given. Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, in the Renaissance Bank studio on this Thursday afternoon. Did we mention the games coming up this weekend or no? I mean, we, I guess we kind of in a roundabout way did. LSU's at Alabama, Ole Miss at Arkansas, Kentucky at Tennessee, Mississippi State is at Auburn, South Carolina at Missouri, Vanderbilt at Texas A&M, Georgia at Florida. Obviously, the biggest game of the weekend involving an SEC team or SEC teams is uh, is Kentucky at Tennessee. Kentucky currently the highest-ranked team from the SEC in the net at 5. Tennessee is at 7, LSU 13. Mississippi State is up to 20. That is a strong number. Getting closer to that. Yeah, they're in that five-seed range. They just got to find a way to hold on. Auburn at a 23. Win, a win over Auburn at, might get them there. That would be a quadrant one win on the road yeah. that would probably move them up, what, three or four spots in the net? You would think. Uh, I mean, Auburn jumped with a road win. Uh, jumped up a couple of spots with a road win last night at Georgia, who's 108 in the net. Ole Miss stayed at 38 after their home loss to uh, Tennessee last night. Bama's at 48, A&M at 68. Texas A&M is the team that I would not be excited about being having on my schedule in the last three games of the regular season. You you don't seem as concerned about that one, though. Hey, Dad. It's not that I'm not concerned. You know, every game in the SEC is going to be tough, but you got to think at this point Mississippi State has shown that they can win that game, and then it's going to be the home finale, and I think they'll. I think they'll. They'll take that one. I mean, right now, if I got to make a prediction, I would. I would take State to win by. That's right. That game's in Starkville. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a difference. Uh, makes a difference also. Um, all right, let's get to some NFL stuff and kind of two different stories, opposite ends of the age spectrum here. Kyler Murray is not five nine. My favorite tweet today came from uh, from John Pitts at the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. He's the sports editor there. He said, just like I thought, Kyler Murray, 4 feet, 22 inches. <laughs> yeah, Rip, he's doing the math. He, did not, he was not prepared for this being a math-intensive show today. No, we were auditing Twitter followers or doing tiebreakers that have gone down to coin flips. I... Four feet, 22 inches. Five feet, 10 inches, and an eighth for Kyler Murray. If he starts next year, he will be the shortest quarterback starting in the NFL. I love this story. Borky from ESPN. In the measurement heard around the NFL world. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and Adam Schefter today called his measurement electric. I'm not kidding. He said his measurements were electric today. And it's like, what? yeah, I'm serious. And so this guy, he, he's, he's taller than people thought he was going to be, though, right? He's a little bit taller than people thought he was going to be, but still he's short. He is two inches, two full inches, and then some shorter than Drew Brees, who gets the qualifier of, and he's done all of this, being as short as he is. So what is the difference between five foot ten and an eighth and five foot nine and five eighths? 
because if it was five foot nine and five eights, everybody would have had a meltdown today. And he's not the number one pick, and and he's just too short to play in the NFL. But five foot ten and one eighth is electric. Can I just go with he's big enough to be good in the NFL? Or Bob Stoops talking today, who was involved in recruiting him, or you know, taking him as a transfer from Texas A and M, said, "Look." He played against the best talent in the country in high school and was a big winner. He played against the best talent in the country in college, won the Heisman Trophy. What's he got left to prove? He's got to prove that he can do it in the NFL, obviously. Yeah, and there are guys that have had high-level success in college, uh, Heisman Trophy winners that had uh, never were given a real shot in the NFL just because their their talent and their skill set didn't transfer I mean, I guess there's the element of one. Flutie Flakes was five ten. Yeah, and, I mean, and Russell Wilson is under five foot eleven, right? He's five ten and in some eights, five eights or something like that. He's incredibly successful. Drew Brees is two inches taller, but what is two inches? He's six feet tall, and and he's the most efficient passer in the history of the game. With Kyler Murray, the the questions are to me: Is he in a system that is quarterback friendly? Did he put up a bunch of numbers because Lincoln Riley has a great system in Oklahoma every Saturday has better players, better offensive linemen, better receivers, better running backs than every opponent that they played this year until they get to the playoffs? Because football factory quarterbacks have not worked in the NFL. Yeah, but doesn't the success of Baylor Baker Mayfield as and, a rookie kind of punch a hole in that theory? And there's your outlier. Yeah, but he's from the same system. Right. That's there's your outlier. Generally it hasn't worked. Baker Mayfield also is a little bit bigger. But he's a shorter quarterback, came from the same system. It, people are just making such a big deal about his height and we knew he was short. 5'10 and 1/8 or 5'9 and 5/8s there's no difference. It's just whether or not he can translate to the NFL with all of those things. I don't even know if they're against him, but with those factors the height's not going to make a difference. If he was six feet tall, it wouldn't change anything. C Spire text line, dang, I'm a little less than two inches away from being electric. <laughs> Bobby from Ashland, for the last ten minutes, the emergency broadcast system has been buzzing and cutting in and out, interrupting the show. Bobby, that is one thing that we have absolutely zero control of. Thanks, Obama. This has been a test of the emergency broadcast system. Had this been an actual the, the emergency, about to start. say what? The purge is about to start. You need to get inside. The purge. You've oh, never God. seen those movies? Oh, but the, the pain, the pain of doing references with you. Ah, uh, never mind. Just continue. What movie is it? The purge. The purge. The movie. No, I haven't is seen the purge. the purge. No, I haven't. Uh, real quick, the premise is there's one oh. day a year for 12 hours where crime is legal. Any crime at all is completely legal, and they sign. They do the emergency broadcast system, and there's sirens saying that the purge has commenced, and everybody starts killing each other, and it's a horror movie. They're pretty poorly done. Might be bad news for this show. If we had a purge, yeah, it would be. I don't think any of us are surviving it. None of us? I don't know. I'm just, I just, I don't Well, they had safe zones and and stuff. I guess. The rich people built like special windows and stuff so nobody could get into their homes. But how did that work out for that guy, though? If you had a 24 hour window and could only, and could commit one crime with no punishment at all, 
and that crime was not murder, let's go with that, what crime would you commit? you got to rob a bank, right? Yeah, but the is, there any is there any resistance to the crime that you're trying to commit? Or no. is it a free-for-all? It's a free-for-all. The, the police, all emergency services are not available during the purge. Okay. I would want to shoot RPGs at stuff. <laughs> Just stuff. And we're back to murder. No, no, not at people. Just at gonna... stuff. <laughs> I'd skip on the bank and go to the National Reserve. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good choice. There's a good chance it's got more money than your local bank does. Yeah. It's all, it's, you know, I don't know. I feel like that might Fort they, Knox. That, that might have. Yeah, Fort Knox, we're going we're gonna to load some. The Army is probably not going to just go ahead and let you in. I understand there's no police, but the Army is still available. They're probably not going to be like, yeah, come on in, get the gold, sure. But what's going on at, like, the First National Bank of Pontotoc? I could probably get in there, make a few grand, and, and call it a day. The, the better question is what's going on in Dallas. There we go. Good and what's going on in Bristol, Connecticut. Jason Witten, who last year was in the booth as an analyst alongside Joe Tessitore on Monday Night Football, has decided to end his retirement after one year. He will return to the Dallas Cowboys in 2019, playing his 16th NFL season. Cowboys announced this via Twitter earlier today. Quote from Witten, The fire inside of me to compete and play this game is just burning too strong. This team has a great group of rising young stars, and I want to help them make a run at a championship. Completely my decision. I'm very comfortable with it. I'm looking forward to getting back in the dirt. They um, they play on turf in Dallas. Well, it's, it's all the same. Figure of speech and whatnot. Uh, two thoughts. First thought is, do you know how talented you have to be to play in the NFL for 15 years, retire, sit out for a year, and then go back and play again? That's impressive. Number two, is Dallas desperate? Does this make sense? Think on that just a little bit. We'll be back. We'll talk more about Jason Witten coming up. Uh, actually, when we come back, we're going to talk with David Brandt from the Associated Press. So we'll circle back to the Jason Witten back to the NFL story. If you were not a fan of Jason Witten on Monday Night Football, which apparently a lot of people were not, then uh, maybe you rejoice. Does this mean Tess and Booger full-time? Hope not. That's, that's David Brandt from the AP next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. So, hey, Dad, you're a Cowboys fan. Have you always been, or is this via Dak? What? Saints fan. I'm sorry. I will fight you're a Saints. You. Oh, shut up. You're a Saints fan, but the Cowboys are now your second team because of Dak. Again, lies are happening on this program. Untruths. Who's your second team? I don't have Wait, a second Richard team. Richard Cross putting words into people's mouth? That never this happens. Guy. I don't have a second team. I don't believe in the in the process of a second team. I have a team, and I don't really care about anybody you else. You don't follow the Dallas Cowboys because of Dak. Them because now I you're lying. To. 
I follow them because I keep up with Dak for the purposes of this show and the and my podcast. But do I cheer them on to victory? At no point. I would say the second team serves a purpose when you're casually following the league and maybe you don't know a ton about the sport. Like, like I really like the NBA. Don't really have a team. Mm-hmm. That's fine, yeah. but I I have teams in all sports, and I don't I don't deviate from them. Go ahead with your comment though about Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Well, since you followed Dak so closely, how big a deal is this in Jason Witten coming back for his 16th NFL season? I, that's a good question because... Well, I'm glad we finally got to a decent question. <laughs> it took you long enough, Cross. Uh, I mean, Witten, Witten wasn't playing at a, at a low level or anything when he retired. He was still catching balls, so, you know, I, and the Cowboys, they didn't get much out of the tight end position a year ago at all. So sixty-eight combined that, catches. I yeah, think I read. so I would I would think that if he feels like he can come back, and maybe the year away, you know, a year of, of getting healthy and not taking the the bumps and bruises, and like you said, obviously the talent level is very high if he feels like he can do it. I mean, it, it gives Dak another security blanket at least, and you know, with him and with Amari Cooper, now you at least got the the workings of a of a decent receiving core. Maybe you can add to it in the draft with another guy. I don't know. Isn't there something else more here, though? Because he not only retired, he got set up with the cushiest of cushiest retirement jobs of all time, and now all of a sudden, after a year, like yeah, I saw somebody in sports media suggest that Jerry was throwing him a bone to save the embarrassment of getting fired after one year on Monday Night Football. It's pretty bad that you know you hear about a lot of athletes who are like ah, I'm just, I'm just not good at this anymore. I need to go be an announcer. You never hear about an announcer go ah, oh, I'm so bad at this. I need to go be an athlete. It's a nice fallback play. And he's he's a very likable guy. Yeah, and like it, it was honestly a shame that he the I thought he got better on Monday Night Football towards the end of the year. I didn't think it was quote unquote good. I thought he was learning and I thought he was getting better. And it wasn't like he was just like man, this guy's less likable because he's bad at this. It was just he's just not good at this. So maybe that is what it was, and maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. I would actually, uh, Borgie, if that's a true thing, and I know it's probably a, an opinion, maybe an informed opinion, I would gain a little respect for Jarrah Jones for that. Look, say what you want about Jerry Jones. Most people who play for him love the guy. Well, that, and he, uh, what did he buy the Cowboys for uh, over 20 or twenty years ago? What was it, Monday? It's like yeah, it was a couple hundred million. And now it's worth for over four billion dollars. So he he's knows good what business he's man. doing. He's a good businessman, no question. If you live by his principles, you could do well in life. What is it? He has that quote, I don't have time to have a bad time. I like that. Sounds like a That's... Toby Keith song. <laughs> that does sound like a Toby Keith or Blake Shelton, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. Um the I mean, there's nothing like retiring from a multi-million dollar deal and then turning around and getting a multi-million dollar TV deal only to go back to another multi-million dollar football deal for probably a year or maybe two. He is not between a rock and a hard place. No, no. He, he's not had to change houses or, or, or downgrade you know, to, to be able to afford the mortgage. What was the, He's the still basket- getting premium when he goes to the gas station. He doesn't have to go down to unleaded. What was, I believe the basketball player, I don't want to get it wrong, I think it was either Joe Johnson or Josh Smith a while back when he signed with the Clippers. 
he was only making uh, a couple, like seven or eight million dollars a year, and he said he was worried because it might be a little bit harder to feed his family. Uh, just a point of reference here: premium is actually also unleaded. You know what? I'm... Just the more expensive unleaded. <laughs> I just pulled up the headline. Josh Smith says his six point four million dollar salary this year will make it difficult, harder on his family. <laughs> In which case you're living five days large. a week, not seven days a week. No. Yes, living large. Um, I have not been able to connect with uh, David Brandt. Maybe we'll be able to do that a little bit uh, a little bit later this afternoon. So the Cowboys replaced Witten last season with a committee of tight ends, and their offense struggled for much of the year until they were able to get Amari Cooper in the mix. Okay, so now you've got Amari Cooper. You get Jason Witten back. Does the, I guess my ultimate question is, does this make them better on offense? I'm going to say yes. I'll say yes. Because I, 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 I think when Witten retired, we thought, oh, he might have had a couple good years left, but maybe he's just getting out before you know he feels like he's going to have a debilitating injury or something. I don't know. And I, I didn't feel like he was at the point in his career where he was a liability out there on the field. So as long as he's adding some sort of value, to the Cowboys, yeah, I mean, he'll give Dak a red zone target, you know, some veteran leadership for a team that's, you know, pretty young, and uh, yeah, I think it'll be a good move. They still need another weapon, though. Yeah, they do. Every, I say every, the Saints don't really have this, to be honest, and maybe it's Alvin Alvin Kamara, but they need a complimentary receiver. One guy's not going to carry a passing attack as good as Amari Cooper is, so He'll help, I'm sure, and having that veteran in the locker room is great, but they need to go find themselves another receiver. Thank you, by the way, to uh, Paul, who said it was 30 years ago that uh, Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys and bought them for $140 million. Pretty good ROI. Um, Borky, I'm troubled a little bit by something that you've written. You say this isn't dumb criminal news, but dumb people news. And I'm not sure that I get it, because I kind of love this story. I I like this story, but the people involved in this story are really stupid. I don't agree with that. Two-year-old artist in New York City. This story from the New York Post. Two-year-old Lola June may still be in diapers, but the tot is already taking the New York art world by storm. Say what? What kind of diapers? I mean, my guess are would be size 5. Or, or, oh, they, I was going to say probably five, six, uh, size 5 or size 6 Huggies would be my guess at two years <laughs> old. Um, she's created paintings that have sold to wealthy collectors for hundreds of dollars each, which hundreds of dollars in the art world is not a lot of money. Uh, she even now has her own gallery show. Here's the thing that's interesting to me. If there's all of a sudden a demand for this two-year-old's art and her first shot at it is selling for hundreds of dollars, those numbers are going to have a, ca- a comma in them very, very quickly. And because there's a limited supply, all of a sudden the values are going to shoot through the roofs. More than 12 of Lola's acrylic paintings priced between three and $1,600 have been snapped up. Her parents says it's an honor... Etc. If you go and you look at the paintings, 
They're pretty darn good. Good for a two-year-old taking some paint and just pouring it on a canvas and using and just sloshing it around like every two-year-old in America does and people walking by and calling it art because they need to feel something inside and feel cultured and different when they look at it. It's really just the playing of a two-year-old and not some profound moving art. Well, the people that are buying it don't agree with you. There well, is a dermatologist stupid. in New York, Dr. David Colbert, who recently, yeah, recently purchased a couple. He says, I remember asking, who is the artist? And there was this little girl sitting on someone's lap, and they pointed to her, and I thought, oh, it's the mother. He said, the lines were so good, they reminded me of <laughs> Cy Twombly. That's tough. That's tough b- b- shoes to fill. Read the next slide. He was so taken by the youngster's awe-inspiring abstract composition. It was a child that put paint on her hands and just rubbed it around the canvas. Richard, you have three kids. Start just giving them paint in a canvas and then go sell it in an art show, and you can make a killing if people are this gullible. Well, you could add, I mean, put an ad on they, your they wife's could shop make a right killing, there on the Not square. I could make a killing. Yeah, I mean, you put it in the bank for your kids and like have their college fund or something, but... It's a great idea. Yeah, and so just get a canvas and get some paint and say, hey, cross children, do whatever kids your age do. Borky, you you say that this is just what kids of all ages do. They just smear paint on a canvas. Looking at the actual pictures, some of this stuff's pretty good. It's At least the kid's all... not eating the paint. It's, That's... I'm sure that was part of the process. She was eating crayons while she was painting with her fingers. <laughs> <laughs> My mom wanted me, me to be the next Cy Twombly, but I disappointed her. Yeah, um, I guess that, you know, that's the thing about art. It's, it's like you look at it and you either like it or you don't. Does it matter if it was a two-year-old or somebody that had been painting for their entire lives? Does it matter if it was Jackson Pollock or Lola Jane? And are you willing to pay whatever somebody's asking for? I just hope I have the kind of money to where I can justify spending $1,600 on a two-year-old's play date. (laughs) But if you didn't, that's the point, though. This guy that was buying it didn't know that it was a two-year-old. He just saw the art and liked it. And then the story gets interesting from there. Sports Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon, just after 5 o'clock. Good to be with you, Richard. Hey, Dad, Rippy, Borky, got the whole crew on this Thursday. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Um, still a bunch to get into in this, uh, this final hour of the show, 5 o'clock hour. Let's get into some... Uh, NFL Combine news, all the measurables as the Underwear Olympics are now underway in Indianapolis. Here is your college football fix. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough, but don't stop there because it's truck month at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Great deals. We're to the end of February, so you better hurry. Don't want to miss out on the deals at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Let's start with the Bulldogs in Indianapolis. 
we're limited. I mean, this is going to be like, okay, each each day we add a layer, and on Monday we'll have all the numbers in. We'll have 40 times. We'll have the number of times they were able to bench press 225 pounds and what their broad jump was and what their shuttle times were, all the stuff that means so much to you. Or maybe it doesn't. Right. Hand size, right? We've got hand size, height, and weight today. Um, Jonathan Abram goes 5'11", 207. Not one thing wrong with that height and weight for the position he plays, right? Yeah, he's good shape there. He's fine. Deion Calhoun, 6'2", 3'10", and some big old mitts, 10-inch hands. Yeah. And what, what that that's spread out from the tip of your pinky finger to the tip of your thumb, right? Isn't that how they do good. the hand measurement? That would make sense. Yeah. I've never had my hand measured, so I don't know. Well, get a ruler out and see what you come up with. I have small hands for a big guy. That was my favorite thing about leading up to Kyler Murray's day today. Was, the thing about his, his agent? Yeah, the, the reports <laughs> out of Kyler Murray's camp that they're confident his hand size will be between this number and this number. And confident that his height will be between this number and this number. Get a tape measure. So, yeah, why don't you just tell us? It's like there's a way you could figure that out. Why is there mystery behind the measurement leading into the draft? It seems like pretty simple math. I have a feeling I mean, it's because they knew he was he likes. He likes simple math. Yeah, but they knew he was going to be five foot ten, and they wanted to sell Kyler Murray's measurement as much as possible to make it look as good as it could possibly be, as a good agent is supposed to do. And they did. It was electric. Yeah, it was electric, <laughs> according to an actual sports media person. I mean, we have a little different way we go about that at the Cross household. We put the kids up against the wall, backs against the wall, and put a pencil on top of their head and make a mark on the wall and then measure floor to the mark. I would How always just see what I could ride be in Indianapolis right now if that was going on? There would be a lot of pencil marks. I'm sorry, what, uh, Rippy? I would always just judge it by, like, what I could and could not get on at the state fair. <laughs> have you reached the point where you could ride everything? Pretty sure at this point I'm there. But I was wear, Disney World tough for you as a kid? I went to Disney when I was like 12, and I don't remember having any problems, but... I mean, I'm going to say you were probably good by the age 12. Yeah, I think so. Things really leveled off from there, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, once you hit four feet, you're really in pretty good... I think there's, I think there's one roller... Maybe the rock and roll roller coaster at... Um, which is the Aerosmith roller coaster at Hollywood Studios? Is it at Hollywood? Well, Rock and roll, whichever. Yeah, it's at Hollywood Studios, yeah. I think you got to be either 52 inches or 54 inches for it. Are you a roller coaster guy, hey, Dad? We've talked about Absolutely this before, haven't we? Not. No, I am not. Are you a roller coaster guy, Borky? I love it. I grew up going to a place called Cedar Point in Ohio. I just wow. have extended family up there. It's the number one roller coaster park in the world. I, I was raised on that kind of stuff. There is a new roller coaster in Canada. Saw it here. It is the Yukon Striker roller coaster at Canada's Wonderland in Vaughan, Ontario. It's one of those where you you, you sit there and your legs dangle and the the brace comes over your neck and kind of locks you in. It has a 90-degree drop 
So you're going straight, and then the roller coaster folds forward 90 degrees to go straight down 80 miles an hour and then goes through an underwater tunnel. Rippy, would you ride it? Yeah, I don't mind roller coasters. I don't like the ones where you just go up and you sit at the top and just wait to drop. That's not really one of my favorites, but I don't mind the roller coaster. I think they're fun. Jane and I had a Disney World conversation. The, the last time we went, we uh, we went to Animal Kingdom. And it was the first time we had been. We just kind of avoided Animal Kingdom. Or maybe they had been once, and I had to come back early. One time, whatever it was. I had not been to Animal Kingdom before. And we rode Expedition Everest. Well, I mean, we waited in line for, you know, half an hour or so to ride it, and you walk past all these signs, and on the signs they go, part of this, part of this ride will be in the dark. At one point this ride is going to go backwards. Well, apparently Jane and my mom did not pay attention to any of the signs. So it's me and my little guy sitting in the front seat. It, you know, it's a, it was like a two-by-two two car, and my mom and my wife are in the seat behind us, and we're rocking along, rocking along. We're going up straight, and I go, I know what's coming here because we come to a point where it's like the track ends, and you're way on up there. And then you go backwards through a dark tunnel. I thought we were about to lose it. Like, I was great. I loved it. Can't wait to ride it again. My little guy thought it was great. I was worried about him because I thought, oh, he's scared. He's going to lose it. He's thrilled, loves it. My mom and my wife, if I made Jane get on that, like if I forced her to get on it again, there's only a, there's only a handful of things that I think could end our marriage. Small number. I think that might be one of them. Not a fan? She was not a fan. What does that have to do with height? Oh, Rippy's height. Sorry. That's uh, Kyler Murray's height, originally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald. 6'5", 226, hands of nine and three-quarter inches. Elton Jenkins, 6'4", 310. Okay, here's the best comparison. I'm trying to come up, hey, Dad, with a way to make this interesting. Mm-hmm. I think this is the only way we can make it interesting. Okay. DK Metcalf measured in at 6'3", 228. His hands were nine and seven eight, so almost 10-inch hands, big. The measurement around his arm, I guess his bicep, 34 and 7 eighths inches. Almost no, that's, 35 no, that's his inches. Arm. That's huh? his length. That's the length of his arm from shoulder to fingertips. Yeah. That's not bicep oh. length. That is the length that's of your bicep. arm. He had, oh, I thought that was like, well, never only mind. Only Hulk Hogan has pythons that big, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of DK, I think Well, never mind. I can't is, make it interesting. <laughs> Well, did you see this thing that Ian Rappaport tweeted? 1.6% body fat. That can't be right. Like that, People are, are talking about that on Twitter. Like, that's not healthy. You need Rippy, to have that's like you, right? You're at, I mean, I'm sorry, Borky, you're at like 1.6% body fat, right? <laughs> yeah, more like 16. Um, I'm at 1.6 in my, in my pinky finger. No, I, I mean, it's incredible. His measurables, we've talked about it forever. He's already going to be a first-round pick, but he, he is going to absolutely blow people away at the Combine. He's a little bit shorter than, than Megatron, Calvin Johnson, but he is going to perform like Calvin Johnson. Physically, it's almost hard to believe that he is a human. At his size, his wingspan is the longest of the receivers. I think the longest ever measured for a receiver at the Combine. Now, I'll have to double-check that, but I'm pretty sure... He's at least up there 
for the longest wingspan in NFL history at the combine for wide receivers. No body fat. I mean, he's going to run a sub 4.540 at that size. He is an absolute freak. A body fat percentage of 1.6 is characterized by extreme vascularity so that veins are visible over just about every muscle in the body. Women love a vascular man. Clear separation between muscles and striations visible on almost every... So pretty much that picture you saw of him getting ready for the combine is 1.6% body fat. How about this, though? To, to tell you how crazy this is, Essential fat for a man is around 2%, which is the basic amount of fat a man needs for the body to function. Some bodybuilders can drop as low as 3 or 4% body fat when preparing for bodybuilding competitions. So are we to believe that that's unhealthy? The 1.6? Hey, I would take 1.6, healthy or not. Just give it a go. <laughs> I'll be the guinea pig on that one. I'll try it out for a couple weeks. Hmm. So. Sports right, Talk boys. Mississippi, that's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Up next on the Farm Bureau phone line, Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. Speaking of guys that only have 1.6% body fat, Teddy Cahill joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. Did I get that right, Teddy? 1.6%? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, I, I thought so. I knew you uh, spent a lot of time in the gym. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, it's been a while since I've been measured, but you know. Well, it's, that sounds right. It's just, just guessing there. Uh, week three, to me, is usually a fun weekend in the college baseball season. We're still two weeks away from the start of conference play for almost everybody. We've gotten past the first couple of weeks of you know maybe playing poorly, maybe getting guys or, or pitchers in particular kind of up to where you want them to be. And we've usually got some pretty good tournaments in week three as well. Yeah, it's kind of a sweet spot in the... Uh... In the non-conference schedule, the ACC uh, has to start conference play next week. So this is kind of the last weekend. You can have everyone involved. And then, you know, SEC teams and, you know, most of the Big 12 and the Pack, like they're, you know, they, they, can, they can go test themselves this weekend and then still have one week left to kind of tune it up before the conference play starts. So consequently, you know, th- this winds up being a big tournament weekend, and this year's no different with uh, the Shriners Classic in Houston and what's going on in Frisco. And, um, you know, it, it's a fun weekend uh, all over the country, I think, for college baseball. Uh, before we get into those turns, we were actually joking around earlier today. Said, you know, it's probably time for us to take a look at the early RPI numbers, which serve absolutely no purpose at this time of the season. But on the other side of that, for example, Mississippi State playing in the Frisco Classic, they're going to play uh, a Texas Tech team who is going to be in the mix for a really great RPI and a really good strength of schedule. So these games do matter, even if the RPI number that's a result of this weekend doesn't really matter in week three does that make is that right am i saying that the right way yeah yeah no that, that definitely makes sense i mean so you know i pulled up rpi right now and william and mary is on the top 10 right now so obviously that's not going to last 
Um, but the tribe, the the, R, the RPI formula doesn't care whether you play that game on March second or April twenty second or you know May third. So the fact that Mississippi State's playing Texas Tech on a neutral site, you know, it gets those points regardless of what time of year it is. So it does matter, and all these games matter. But you know, when when you challenge yourself and when you play a team like Texas Tech that you figure is going to finish really good in RPI, uh, you know, it it can only help you. You know, if you can win that game, you know, regardless of what time of year it is. What do you make of Mississippi State so far? JT Ginn, the freshman who was a first-round draft pick, has, has started a couple of games, won a couple of games. Ethan Small doesn't have a decision so far, but really has been dominant from a strikeout standpoint in, in his first two outings. Yeah, I think that those two guys have really come out of the gate really well. and uh, you know, I, I think the whole pitching staff has been pretty impressive. And you know, I, I think that there are some really good pieces there. And when you look at Small and Ginn, you're looking at – one of the better one-two punches in the conference and, and therefore in the country. Uh, I mean, there are plenty of other good ones, but but those are two guys that can stack up really well for the Bulldogs. And uh, they've got some guys off to good starts offensively, and they have some other guys that you know they still kind of need to get going a little bit. And but I think that the pitching so far this year has been kind of what stood out to me the most about the Bulldogs. Speaking of a team that has stood out from a pitching standpoint, Tennessee is 9-0. and They've recorded six shutouts. Now, I don't know where you want to put strength of schedule. They had Indiana in town last weekend. You can't do go six shutouts in intra-squad games. Is this Tennessee team better? Are they a team that we're going to keep an eye out for in, in what, year two for Tony Vitello? This is year two for Tony, and I think that, yes, uh, I think this is a team to watch in the East. Um, you know, the East, after you get outside Florida and Vanderbilt and, to a certain extent, Georgia, opens up a little bit. Um, you know, and I know I just listed almost half the teams in the division, but <laughs> this is here where, where South Carolina is kind of resetting a little bit and where Kentucky lost something like 13 players from last year. So it's a new Kentucky team, and Missouri is dealing with – a lot of stuff, uh, you know, with their sanctions, and so maybe this is a year where uh, it, it opens up a little bit for a team like Tennessee that hasn't been to regionals since 2005. That they can, uh, you know, take advantage of, of some uncertainty in that division, and they've been building to this in some respects. The the junior class there is was highly touted when they arrived as freshmen. They've developed pretty well, uh, especially on the mound. You got guys like Garrett Stalling and Zach Lingenfelter, and they've continued to recruit pretty well. And you know they've put together a, a strong SEC pitching staff for the first time in a long time in Knoxville. And I'm very interested to see what it looks like once they get into SEC play. Uh, but right now, the early returns are good, and I, I think this is a team that that is going to be a, a team to watch throughout the spring. If Tennessee had not made the coaching change uh, that they made last year, would they be in this exact same spot, or did they need to, to, to make the change to get kind of a fresh start and try and build a little momentum around that program? Well, so Dave, Dave Serrano is now my colleague at Baseball America, uh, so we're, we're very happy to have him. Um, yeah, what a know, super guy. Yeah, and his resume is incredible when you look at it, it is. What he, where he's won, and, and I... The fact that he never got it going in Knoxville 
was surprising to a lot of people. At the same time, after six years, if you haven't made the tournament, um, I don't think anyone can fault you for making a change. But when we talk about how these juniors are, are starting to produce, you know, those are, that is his, one of his last recruiting classes there. And I think they had started recruiting at a better rate. Um, and, and so I, I think that the program was starting to turn around. The, the Tony Vitello inherited a good situation or a better situation than maybe some people would have realized. But I think a lot of credit also uh, belongs on his staff for continuing to develop these guys and, and getting them better and, and getting to them to a point where they can have this kind of start to the season. Teddy Cahill, Baseball America, on your radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Ted Cahill, C-A-H-I-L-L. Ole Miss host Long Beach State this weekend. Uh, Rebels have not gotten a, uh, a weekend sweep. They only played two games the opening weekend and then won two out of three at Tulane next weekend. What's going on with Long Beach State? I mean, this is kind of a, a proud baseball program, what, uh, just a couple of years removed from a super regional, I think, or, or at least hosting correct. a regional. Two years ago, they hosted a super regional almost with Texas, Omaha. right? Uh, they beat Texas in the regional, and then they played a super against Fullerton. Okay. So they were really close just a couple of years ago. They're off to an 0-7 start and were just awful offensively a year ago. What's going on with the team that Ole Miss will host this weekend? Yeah, so that team two years ago was fantastic, and then a lot of those guys moved on, as as happens. And so last year, I didn't think they were going to have to take a big step back, but then they had some injuries, and so they did take a big step back. And then I thought going into this year they'd be a little better, they'd have some good pitching, uh, they'd be a team that could – you know, not get back to super regionals, but would, you know, be competitive in the Big West. And right now, I mean, they play an incredibly difficult schedule, but they just haven't had any sort of success yet. And they're really struggling offensively. That That's going to be a thing that, uh, you know, almost pitching it should be able to do very well against their hitters. Uh, but they do have good arms on the mound and I think that you know for the the rebels hitters uh, you know they it, it could be a bit of a challenge but I, I think that just the way Long Beach is scuffling the score runs right now that you know it, it should be a series that Ole Miss is comfortably um, you know in control of but the when they went into Gainesville, I, I think they did a good job against Florida Sitters, but ultimately they just didn't have the talent necessary to match up. And I think yeah. that's going to be a similar situation in Oxford. Uh, last thing, and we've only got about a minute left, I, I think one of the really unique things in college baseball is the series that Clemson and South Carolina play each year, where they play one game in Clemson, one game in Columbia, and they play one game in Greenville. Uh, are, is that something that that other states should adopt, or is that just something that works in the state of South Carolina because of proximity? I love it, and I think there are places where it could work. There are places where it wouldn't make sense. Um, and it, it just is a, the whole state is crazy for college baseball. It works because there are two universities that are of similar size and stature in the college yeah. baseball world. You know, Louisiana couldn't pull that off because there's no counterbalance to LSU. But it works really well for them. And I think it also works really well because they're in two different conferences. So you don't, you aren't asking anyone to give up a home game. Uh, or, or anything like that in, in conference play. And so I think it's just the perfect mix there in South Carolina, and it's a great series every single year. You, you just angered the Ragin' Cajun fans, by the way, in Louisiana. <laughs> 
Yes, yes, I did, and the Northwestern State fans, I'm sure too. <laughs> you will. Uh, you'll. You'll have to. Uh, you'll just have to live with that. Teddy, appreciate your time this afternoon. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you very much. Teddy Cahill, Baseball America.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.